Hey, good morning, Southwinds. My name is Marco. I have the privilege of serving as the student ministry pastor here at Southwinds. And I wanted to thank you for joining us for this momentous holiday. What holiday? It's NSPPD, National Student Pastor Preaching Day. And right now you are joining hundreds, potentially thousands of student pastors preaching across this country and globe. But if you would have asked me 361 days ago how 2020 would have gone, I would have, I would have explained something completely different from our current reality. I would have explained the best year possible, right? Why? Because we've been accustomed to believe that a new year, a new me, a new decade, new possibilities, right? I think 2020 has gone nowhere near the expectations anyone of us would have set for a new year or a new decade. And I'm guessing with some of the complications that some of us have experienced with 2020, there's been a lot of frustration, a lot of anxiety, a lot of pain, a lot of tiredness. Maybe you felt like God is a thousand miles away. And if that's been you this year, I can relate. I've been there. I've experienced those things alongside of you. Somewhere along the way, you lost passion. 2020 started in full color on a brand new Christmas present, 80-inch TV. And somewhere along the way, someone took it down for a 1940s grayscale TV. Right? I think that's what it's been. That's been our reality for 2020. And I remember sitting down on December 31st, 2019, and setting out these major goals for 2020. These high expectations that I would set out for myself. Anyone else do that? Anyone else bold enough to post them on social media? Yeah, I was. And I remember setting out these high extreme expectations for my life and the surroundings around me. And I've, over the last couple of weeks, I, I remember pondering this idea of like, has 2020 gone near those expectations that I posted on social media December 31st? And it was really convicting. It was, I, I, was, I was trying to figure out if I led out those goals or if I, if I pivoted in a way to accomplish what God was actually leading me to do. And if I'm being completely honest with you, it's been very difficult. It's been a big wrestle for me to figure out if I did what God was leading me to do or if I actually tried to hold on to those goals that I set out. Right? I remember sitting back and I made this really cool looking graphic. If, if you were watching online, you could see that graphic or you can scroll down to de December 31st of my social media and just see how bad I failed. Goals like 15,000 steps a day in a 1,100 square foot apartment, you know, or, or running 20 different races from 5Ks to marathons. Every single one of them was canceled this year. I think the only one I did was on January 1st. And I remember setting out the goals. I was bold enough to post them on social media. Little did I know I would fail most of those. Little did I know that I would have to make excuses for myself not to feel bad about them. Little did I know that the goals I set out wouldn't come to reality. The issue, with, the issue that I set out on December 31st wasn't that I had to pivot because of the pandemic. The issue with my goals that I set out on December 31st was that they were centered around what I wanted for 2020. They were centered around what I wanted for this year. And the moment I realized it, it was like a sucker punch to the stomach. It was like, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to say to me? What are you trying to get me to realize this year? Where are you trying to lead me? What are you trying to get me to accomplish this year? 
One of my main points for today, what if 2020 wasn't a year about dreaming of what we want, but instead a year to realize and reflect on what God has already blessed us with? I'll say it again. What if 2020 wasn't a year about dreaming of what we want, but instead a year to realize and reflect on what God has already blessed us with? And as I've studied God's word this year, the next couple verses that we're going to go through have brought so much peace to me. Even since I became a Christian, they've resonated with me. And a lot of you haven't heard my story. I'm going to share a little part of my story today. But like a lot of you, I didn't grow up in a traditional Christian family. I don't have a traditional coming to Christ story. I didn't walk into a student ministry. I never went to VBS, never went to church before I turned 18, never went to a traditional Sunday school class. And I remember asking all these really tough questions to my mom as I was growing up. I don't 100% honest with you. I don't know what God was doing in my life since I was very little because I would ask these questions about God. I was always say, God, Mom, there was there has to be more. There has to be more. There has to be more. She'd tell me we were Christians, but I was like, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm 12 years old, Mom. I don't know what a Christian is. I've never been in church. I don't know what that is, Mom. Right? And I did what any other curious teenager would do. I jumped on Google, and I searched, what does it mean to be a Christian? One of the first Christian blogs that popped up was a little more legalistic than most, and it was like running through a list of do's and don'ts, right? Follow everything the Bible says. Don't cuss. Don't have premarital sex. Only listen to Christian music. Watch Christian movies. And the, the list went on and on and on. And I figured if this curiosity was going to go anywhere, I might as well try some of them. Might as well try to become a Christian since my mom is telling me I'm a Christian. Might as well try some of them. Right, so I started with the list. I started watching some Christian movies, right? And if you've ever seen a Christian movie, you know what happens within the first five minutes, right? Just like Hallmark movies. If you haven't seen one of those or you don't get the movie after five minutes, you might as well restart it because you won't get it. Started listening to country music, which was pretty hard because I didn't listen to music that didn't talk about country fields, alcohol, or sex, or anything like that. That just wasn't what I grew up listening to. And just like I did for 2020, I had goals for going to college. When I, when I started making plans to go to college, I had these dream schools that I wanted to go to, right, with these dream tuition goals that I would be able to accomplish and reach. And throughout my senior year, I, God checked off eight different universities that I, was, that I had set plans to go to. And I said, I'm going to go to that. And my mom said, hey, you're going to pay for it. Right, And I remember my senior year, I was heartbroken. I ended up going to UNLV because it was my last choice, and it was a home school, and that's what gave me the most money, right? So it was the cheapest to go to school. But I had these goals. I was going to go live in New York, become a billionaire by the age of, like, 25, live in an upscale, like, loft, and that's what I was going to do with the rest of my life. I told God what I was going to do. And up to this point, I had even started looking at some Christian universities to go to, and I wasn't a Christian at this time, but I still felt like God was leading me to this. I was going to be a Christian billionaire, right? And like I said, I didn't grow up in a traditional Christian family. My parents divorced when I was really young. My mom's side of the family never went to church. My dad's side only went for Christmas and Easter. We weren't a let's get up on Sunday morning and go to church like you guys. That just wasn't us. We, that wasn't what we grew up doing, and probably my best, biggest exposure to Christianity was probably my grandma. When I was young, we'd go spend 
the night with them, and we'd, we'd, we'd say this prayer before going to bed, and it was really, like, nice and warm feeling, you know, but I didn't know what it meant, and I, th- I, I knew I was talking to God, but, like, what was God? Who is God, right? Those, those questions would run through my mind, and, and I didn't have a bad upbringing, like, I was all right, you know, I didn't, I didn't struggle with a lot. I, uh, I struggled with insecurity, never won a first place medal or trophy, not that that matters, you know, but like still a little bitter about that, never got a first place medal, that's okay. But I kept coming back to this reality that God wants me in church. I started asking a million questions to all my Christian friends and finally I got an invitation and yes, I'm going to go to church. And I asked my mom, hey mom, can I go to church? Hey, we don't do that. You said we were a Christian, we go to church. No, we don't do that. Okay, so I respected my mom, and the Sunday after I turned 18, I said, hey, mom, I'm going to go to church. So I went to church for the first time the Sunday after I turned 18, and didn't really understand what was happening, but God was still talking at my heart, right? And that first time I walked into church, there was this big revival. Just kidding. Nothing happened. I felt really weird leaving. It was super awkward. I was like, what did I just walk into? God, what... Is this what church is? Is this how awkward it is? Does everyone wear a suit and a tie? It was a very traditional Baptist church. I don't know what God was doing with me when that happened, but it was it, it was very weird. And I kept going back because I was like, okay, God, you might as well I might as well give this a try. If if I've invested about a year of my life in trying to research and ask questions and and, and dive into these Christian movies and songs that I've been listening to, I might as well keep giving this a try. So I went back, I hung out with the student pastor a couple times, and I remember like it was yesterday, the student pastor called me and was like, hey, Marco, we have a spot for summer camp. Do you want to go? And at the time, I was working my first big boy job. I was making mad money, ready to go to college, so I'd have some money to buy some books and pay for some tuition. And I was like, I don't really want to go because I'm going to lose out on some money. That was just my mentality with it, but ended up getting my the, the week off, and it was really weird that just... That, that was God just orchestrating it. God was already working at it. But I remember jumping on a, on, a, on a bus like three or four hours later with 50 complete strangers. Didn't know a single person on that bus for 14 hours. 14-hour bus ride to camp. You know, sometimes I have to weed through some complaints from parents about going to Del Oso and that being too far. 14 hours. 14 hours to camp. And God would begin to do some big things in my life to change my entire perspective on who I was, what I stood for, what I would do with my life, and who he was to me. Leading up to this camp experience, I had no preparation of what it meant to be a Christian or, or what it meant to be involved. And at camp, there was a song that started to play, and every single time I hear it, it still gets me. If I had to put like a single moment, time, and second to when I became a Christian, it was during this song. lyrics like every chain is undone by the power of the sun adopted healed and lifted forgiven found and rescued god you have overcome it is finished it is done and now my heart is finally free those lyrics changed my life for all of eternity if you have a copy of god's word open it up to the new testament book of philippians chapter 3 If you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up. If you have your phone, open it up to the Bible app or our church app. It it resonates a little different when you read it on your own, when you're able to take those notes and annotate them on your own. It sits a little differently. 
One of the things I tell our students is to make your Bible your own circle, underline, highlight, do whatever you need to do. Because I promise you, when you come back to these verses years or even months from now, God's going to speak those same things to you or maybe something completely different. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Verse 7. Whatever I gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them, count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And as we read these verses, we have to look at the context. We have to figure out what, what are we reading and why we're reading it. Paul was writing a letter to Philippi as an introduction to what Jesus was doing, his ministry. Right? And this was during Paul's second season to, uh, to, to, to visit the Philippians. And he was writing this letter because they were being persecuted. He wanted to support and strengthen the Philippians to know the truth. And as I read these verses, I'm reminded of the life that Paul lived. I'm reminded of his actions, what he did to people like you and I. Who he was and who he turned out to be. So as we're kind of reading this section, we also have to read verses 1 through 6, living up to 7. Verse, verse 1 shares a better understanding of what we're walking through. It says, whatever happens, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. I love that. He says, rejoice in the Lord. That's so awesome. That's like, that's such a good feeling, just rejoicing in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. When I hear that, I hear Paul saying, hey, Marco, rejoice in the Lord, even though 2020 has sucked. Rejoice in the Lord, even though your plans didn't happen. Rejoice in the Lord, even through your sickness. Rejoice in the Lord, even though you're struggling daily. Rejoicing in the Lord isn't conditional on my circumstances, but dependent upon my complete attitude of worship towards the Lord. That's where our complete dependence is on, worshiping the Lord. And are you worshiping the Lord this morning? Think about it. Evaluate your own life. Are you content with where you're at? Are you happy with what God has blessed you with? And if not, that's okay until we figure out why. Why aren't you worshiping the Lord? These are important questions we have to ask ourselves. Is it because my 2020 plans didn't happen? Or is it because something much deeper in my life? And when you figure it out, I promise you, it's, the reality is like a ton of bricks. It's a sucker punch to the stomach. And why we are not worshiping God. Paul wasn't trying to be naggy with this next verse because we've all had those naggy people in our lives that kind of keep back, coming back and just like nagging us with the same thing over and over and over, right? But look at what he says in verse 2. It says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are their circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul starts out with a pretty good dig at them. It's a pretty good insult, right? He calls them dogs, right? At the time, the dog was symbolized a wild, vicious, homeless animal that roamed the streets and attacked people that were passing by. He even, Jesus even used it as a, as a uh, reference to those who oppose God's truth. 
Jews often used it as a reference to the Gentiles, and Paul turned it around and called them the same thing. He was warning believers against being influenced by Jewish Christians who argued that circumcision was necessary for salvation. I like how the New Living Translation states, verse 3, we rely on what Christ has done for us, and we put no confidence in human effort. To be honest, that's, that one verse is a home run, and I could probably stop right there, because it's a feel-good verse, right? We put no confidence in what we do as human beings, in our own human efforts, right? And in such a polarizing society, it's hard to even find human effort and be confident in it. And the reality is, this is where it gets interesting. Paul prepares us for a full list of accolades, a full list of his honors and trophies that he's got stored up in his mom's attic. He says, though my, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has, more, has, has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is what he's saying. He's saying he's the top dog in town. He's saying, hey, you've got 20, I'm going to hit for 21. He sees your 4.0 GPA and hit and has a 4.2 high honors diploma. He sees your parenting skills and becomes the coach to have the breakthrough with your kid. In verse 5, he says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew, as for the law, a Pharisee, as to the zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. And if you didn't pick up on what Paul was saying He's saying if anyone has a reason to stand tall for what they have done or accomplished, it's me. And I'm proud to stand up for it. He lists off off things that he's done and accomplished. He was circumcised on the eighth day, and in their eyes that assured his salvation. He was of the people of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is a great honor because of Israel's first king. He was a Hebrew. He was a Pharisee. That was a great honor. He persecuted Christians at the time. Right? He was a Pharisee, but at the time, they believed that the, the, the glory from Christ wasn't true. It, it, it wasn't, Jesus did not meet the expectations of what a Messiah would be. He was righteousness. He was righteous under the law. He was blameless. Never got, got stealing a pack of gum or even cheating on a geometry test. Paul was blameless in his eyes. And being a Pharisee, he, he paid a great deal of attention to the requirements And at first glance, it looks like Paul is boasting about his achievements. But to be honest, it's quite the opposite. He's showing us that no matter how impressive your achievements are, it cannot earn you salvation and eternal life with God. Paul had impressive credentials, upbringing, nationality, family background, inheritance, activity, and morality. Paul was a stand-up dude at the time. Right? If Paul was born today... In America, it would look like this. He was born into a wealthy family with Olympic gold medal winning parents, was the president of every high school club, had the most community service hours, got a full ride scholarship to Harvard Law, became a Navy SEAL, was honorably discharged with the highest merits and awards. Someone highly respected. Paul was highly respected. However, in his coming to faith in Christ in Acts 9, he's coming to faith and none of his actions, none of his achievements have to do with his salvation, but everything to do with God's immeasurable grace. 
God's immeasurable grace. Friends, our actions and achievements here on earth have nothing to do with our eternal salvation, have nothing to do with that. God's good and perfect grace is what covers us. And if we look at verse 7, it says, Whatever I gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. And just like we mentioned, Paul had impressive credentials, upbringing, nationality, family background, heritage, activity, and morality. He's saying, I walked away from all of it. I walked away from all of it so that I could have Christ. All the things that have happened to me that have been laid out for me, I set them aside. I don't need them. We have a handful of kids and students in, in the room. And if you were a kid or a student, you remember looking at all those presents under the tree, right? They were awesome. They're great. Mom and dad wrapped those so beautifully. But those presents don't hold a significant value eternally, right? One of the things that, as, as I was listening to a couple, a couple uh, Christian sermons, or Christmas sermons this week, this pastor was saying, None, nothing under a tree brings permanent satisfaction. Nothing under a tree brings everlasting life. Nothing that can be purchased with a swipe of a card can replace a relationship with Christ. None of those things hold eternal value. Those presents are awesome. They're amazing. But none of them hold eternal life and everlasting life. This next part is what I strive to hear from our students every single day, every single moment when I step on our campus. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ as my Lord. And if we look at the biblical Greek of verse 7 and we compare verse 7 and 8, Paul is saying he counted everything as perfect tense. Perfect sense, that's like really getting into like the weeds, but it's, it's used to describe completed action which produces a result that is still happening. So in verse 7 when he's saying, I count everything, he's saying, hey, I count everything as a loss, but I still continue to count it as loss. And when he starts in verse 8, he says, indeed, I count. And he's... He, he's reinforcing that. Paul count every, counted everything as a loss for Christ, which means he, 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 he views it as a loss and still continues to view it as a loss. And one of my favorite things about student ministry is going to camp because I was saved at camp, right? And the, one of the greatest kind of feelings and memories and things that happen at camp are when, when kids and students come to Christ. When they say yes to Jesus, right, and say no to the things that they had, essentially they're living out verse 8. But I always encourage them to wait a little bit until that camp high kind of dissipates, right? Because we've all had those emotional Holy Spirit filling moments when we make decisions on an emotional decision, right? And after a little while, the, the fire and the energy that we once had kind of dissipates a little bit. But we should affirm it and say, indeed, I count everything as a loss after the emotions have worn away. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash, as garbage in order that I may gain Christ. Paul's talking about a full list of credentials in verse 6, or in 5 and 6. And then he lists out all those things don't matter anymore. Remember, uh, have you... 
I don't know if you guys seen the movie Titanic. At the end of the movie Titanic, Rose leans over the edge of the boat and drops that big necklace down in the ocean, right? Because that's where it belonged. Imagine if we got on a big boat and said, all right, there's all my achievements. There's all my accomplishments, all my trophies. Just kick them all off, right? None of those things hold eternal value. What if we kicked all of those things off? But what if we didn't wait till we were 100 years old? What if we did that at 15? What if we did that at 45? What if we did that at whatever, you're a, whatever age you're at? And we say, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. I would rather know Christ than have any one of those things. I would rather have Christ than anything I could ever have. We should value our relationship with Christ more than anything else in the world. Knowing Christ should be our ultimate goal. And I'm not talking about setting that as a number one thing on your goal sheet for 2021. I'm, I'm asking you to set that as a life goal. Knowing Christ as our Lord. You can know a lot about Christ, but it depends on how you know him, right? I know a lot about Tom Brady. Super stand-up dude, right? Kind of. Right? He played for the Patriots for 19 seasons, left the Patriots, is playing for the Bucks now. He's got six Super Bowl rings. But if I showed up to the dude's house, he'd have no idea who I was. I'd probably call security. Why? Because I, don't, I know him factually. I don't know him through a true personal relationship with him. But that's the thing. How do we get to know Christ? And I kind of listed off some four things. You can find those in your sermon notes for the day. I'll run through them a little bit. But the first one being study the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. See how Christ lived and responded to people like you and I. See how he responded to his followers, his disciples. Examine how he communicated with them and how he interacted with them. Study the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Number two, study the New Testament references to Jesus. Cross-reference them. If you have one of those Bibles that have the little side marks on the edge, that have the references somewhere, right? You could start in Acts, end up in John, and end up somewhere in the Old Testament, right? That An event that happened thousands of years ago. All those references lead back to the actions or the prophecy of Jesus. Number three. As you worship, let the Holy Spirit remind you of Jesus' words. Since I started listening to Christian music, that's just about all I listen to now. Um, it's changed my life. And to be honest, um, I've joked around in the past that I think God uh, was leading me to be a music pastor, but didn't bless me with the talents. Because um, I'm terrible. I bought a guitar my senior year, or my freshman year in college, and was going through like a rough breakup, you know, that first college breakup. And I was like, I'm going to buy a guitar and I'm going to learn how to play guitar. It's been touched like four times. But I really think God uses music in my life to teach me. There's verses that come through our songs. I uh, have kind of dabbled with this in the past, and I've kind of started writing sermons for the future. And um, there's a series that I want to do through like Christian songs because a lot of our Christian songs are straight from our Bible. If you sing these songs, you're singing scripture. I don't know if you know that, but you're legit singing scripture. Or from our prayer life, and I don't, if I don't know what else to pray at times, I just start praying scripture. God's word resonates with us. So number one, study the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Number two, study the New Testament references to Jesus. Number three, as you worship, let the Holy Spirit remind you of God's words. And number four, take up the mission given to us. 
here at Southwind. Our mission is helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And everything we do is centered around that and helping people become followers and helping them become fully devoted followers. In my area of ministry, it's geared around students, and we recently found out that within 10 miles of our church, within 10 miles of our church, there are 22,000 students between the ages of middle school and high school. That's not really an age, that's a school grade. But there are so many students that we could be reaching, and you could be helping with that. That's my plug. If you want to volunteer in student ministry, come on. But all of these things will require us to make major changes. When Paul said, I count everything else a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, he's saying none of the things that have happened, none of the things that I will ever do will ever come in place of my personal relationship with God. To do that, we have to make major changes in our lives, in our actions, in our thinking, in our lifestyles. It's not a perfect formula, but we're conditioning uh, our lives, we're, we're conditioning our, conditioning our lives with disciplines, and to strive after God with a daily pursuit. Are you willing to change your values in your life to know Christ better? Are you willing to rearrange your crowded schedule to spend more time and a few minutes each day with God in prayer? Can I ask a really tough question real quick? You know how many times in the last nine months I've heard someone say, I, I'm just too busy to come to church. Or, or I, I, I can't watch church online right now because I, I'm just busy. What are people doing? We're in a government shutdown. We live in California with Newsom as our governor. What are you doing? That, that's what I want to ask, not you guys. You guys are like Navy SEALs of Christians because you came last Sunday on Christmas and today. You guys are awesome. But what could people be doing? We find things in our lives and we fill it. We fill it. What do you have in your life standing in the way of experiencing God's presence? One of the greatest things that I believe God has done in a year like 2020 has exposed false idols in our lives. I uh, recently watched this documentary that was very convicting about like how much time we actually spend on social networks and on our phones. Um, and I watched this. I was like, yes, I'm pumped. I turned on these, like, notifications to, like, tell me, hey, after two hours of being on social media, um, like, block me out, right? You know the craziest thing about that? There's a password that I can put in. And I can just say, hey, ignore. And you know what I've done? Very convictionally, as a, as a pastor, I can say, um, every single day since the day I alarmed that, I have disarmed that alarm. It's wasted my time. But you know what else I'm also doing? Wasting my time on social media. And I can honestly say that. It hurts. It, it, it sucks to be able to say that, to have to say that. I waste so much time. The plans that I hold on desperately, goals that we strive to achieve, desires that conform us more to the world. And when those things can't happen, we lose our minds. On March 15th, we lost our minds because it was unheard of for the government to shut down. For us to get locked down in our homes unless you were an essential worker. Will you change your plans, goals, and desires in order to conform to what you have learned about Christ on this journey? Don't hear this as an excuse not to better yourself, but as an excuse to trust in God's divine direction. You know... I, uh, I feel bad for my wife sometimes because I'm kind of a jerk at home. I, I got her some flowers a couple months ago. Aww. 
There you go. Um, I got her some flowers. They, they were really nice. They were from Costco. Um, but they, it was, they were really big, right? And we didn't have a vase at home that was, like, lengthy, just, like, wide. Um, so we put the, I put these. I don't remember if I did it or if she did it, but we put these flowers in this vase, right? And it was just this, like, giant bush on our um, island, on our kitchen island, right? It's already small. But it was just giant bush. And I just move it to the corner of the house behind the refrigerator, kind of like out of sight, out of mind, you know what I mean? I did the, I did the action, she loved it, okay, let's just move them out of the way now, right? And um, she'd move them back to the center, and I'd move them back. We kind of went back and forth for like two weeks, right? And I felt really bad, and I think that's what God does with us in our lives. We say, God, you know what, I want this, and I'm going to strive after it so hard until I get it. But then when God says, hey, actually, I want you to do this because it's glorifying me and not glorifying you, we lose our minds. I was losing my mind about the, the flower fight, losing my mind because it wasn't what I wanted. But I think that's what we do with God. In verse 9, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. No amount of law-keeping, self-improvement, discipline, or righteous religious effort can make us right with God. Righteousness comes from God, and we are made righteous through him. We are given right standing from him. He exchanges our sin and our shortcoming for his complete righteousness. Paul gave up everything, his family, his heritage, everything he ever knew. He counted it as a loss and still continued to count it as a loss to know Christ and his resurrecting power. John Piper once said, God helps us prepare for suffering by teaching us and showing us that through suffering, we are meant to go deeper in our relationship with God. Our primary, goal, our primary goal in life should be to know Christ better. I like to tell our students before love in our lives can ever be right, Jesus must be the love of our lives. And you know, as a, as a student pastor, I'm kind of seen as a relationship guru from, from our students and our parents. And I kind of like that. But I always go back to this. Before love in our lives can ever be right, Jesus must be the love of our lives. And in a year like 2020, it has been crazy. You might have seen the memes that 2020 has been like a, a new level Jumanji. Every single month, there's just a new thing popping up, right? Or um, a lot of my sermon illustrations come from TikTok now. And uh, there was this really funny TikTok about a couple weeks ago that there was, God, there was this conversation between God and this angel intern, and God was saying, hey, have we finished the plans for the 2020s? And the angel intern says, did you say plural, 2020s? And God leaned over and said, did you put 10 years worth of events in history into one year? It's crazy. That has, it's, it's like it, it's how it feels. It started off pretty good, and then look at where we're at now. Lives have been uprooted, lives have been changed, plans have been altered, graduations have happened through Zoom, jobs have been lost, families have been stretched, anxiety is at an all-time high, church members have moved to Idaho, because that's like where everybody wants to go now, or just stop coming all together. You fill in the blank for your life. You know, 2020 hasn't been that bad. I got to hang out with my family at home, 
see my wife and my kid play together in ways that I would have never seen if I was in the office. There have been marriages. There have been weddings. There has been babies being born. There have been families been coming together. Salvations have occurred. Innovation and productivity have increased. But it leads me all back to my same point. What if 2020 wasn't a year about dreaming of what we want, but instead a year to realize and reflect on what God has already blessed us with? You know, leading back to uh, a couple weeks ago, I heard this story um, about a mom reading her daughter's Christ- or her, her letter to Santa. And in this letter, the girl is talking to Santa about how much pain and discomfort she has felt this year. Right? And I think we all can relate with that. But it wasn't from frustration or hate. It was just sorrow. And then the mom turns it over, turns the letter over, and tells this. She says, the little girl thanked Santa for seeing daddy more. She thanked Santa for more family game nights. She thanked Santa for seeing mommy and daddy laughing together again. She also thanked him for telling mommy and daddy to let her use the computer more. This little girl demonstrated gratitude towards a creation of the creator. But as Christians, we can demonstrate gratitude to our creator. Will you let the misguided plans that you set out on December 31st, 2019, deter you away from an everlasting, good, grace-filled father? Will you let your own expectations prevent you from seeing joy? Remember how Paul says it. He says, rejoice in the Lord. So fellow brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whether you have walked through the toughest year of your life, whether you are struggling paycheck to paycheck, whether you are going through sickness or hurt or frustration or pain, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And remember, just because the calendar switches to January 1st, 2021, doesn't change anything from our current realities. Don't believe that false hope that 2021 is going to bring greater things. Because at this rate, I don't know what it's going to bring. But I can trust in God. I can trust in a grace-filled Father who loves us, who will, who will rejoice with us. And remember, rejoicing in the Lord isn't condition, conditional on my own circumstances, but dependent upon my attitude of worship towards the Lord. When God's wind comes through our life, we should have our hands and our palms wide open. Because when his wind comes through, we want our lives to go wherever he takes us. If I try to tell God what my plans are for 2021, I promise you my plans will get destroyed again. You won't see me posting on December 31st my plans for 2021. I can guarantee you that. God is a good God. Trust in him. Don't trust in a calendar or a political party or anything like that. Rejoice in the Lord in our loss and count him as a gain greater than anything else in this world. Let me pray.